This is the Walking Home from the ICU podcast. I'm Kelly Dayton, a nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. I help teams create awake and walking ICUs through evidence-based sedation and mobility practices. By hearing from survivors, clinicians, and researchers, we'll explore how to give ICU patients the best chance to walk out of the ICU and go home to survive and thrive. Welcome to the ICU Revolution. If you haven't listened to the podcast from the beginning, I strongly encourage you to do so before proceeding with this episode. Without context, this episode may be very upsetting. Even if you're current on the episodes, this may ruffle some feathers. Today, I want to talk about patient autonomy. It is so sacred. One of my favorite perks of having patients awake on the ventilator is that we nor the family have to guess and wonder what they want. They get to call the shots. Many of our own ICU community say, oh, if it was me, I would want to be sedated. Totally fine if they are informed of the risks and the options and then given a choice. Again, there are situations in which sedation is actually essential. Intracranial hypertension, seizures, open abdomen, some drug toxicities, or the most severe alcohol withdrawal, etc. Even when there is not an option to keep a patient awake and moving, do we warn the patients and families of the repercussions they may suffer? When a patient discharges with a residual kidney injury or changes to medications, we have them follow up with outpatient providers. Yet, do we tell our patients You had ICU delirium and may suffer symptoms of PTSD or have cognitive deficits. Do we provide psychological and cognitive therapies to follow up with after discharge? In all the other occasions in which sedation is being administered automatically after every intubation, just out of cultural habit, are we being straight with patients and families? What if we told them the truth about sedation and immobility and provided the option before intubation? What if it was part of the waiver? What if we told our COVID patients, hey, your lungs are getting worse to the point of needing a ventilator, so we're going to damage your brain and muscles too. This will probably contribute to other organ failures and your eventual death. I can tell you hate the ICU, so we're going to psychologically send you back to the worst moments of your time in Iraq. If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? It can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices, barriers, and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation training, and bedside support. 
Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more. Listen, there are always risks and side effects of treatments. We do informed consent all the time. This provides autonomy for the patient and protection for providers. As a legal consultant, I have frequently told clients, I am so sorry you suffered this complication, but, you know, infection was a risk listed on the consent you signed prior to your ERCP. And that was for an essential intervention. Sedation is rarely essential and comes with life-altering risks, and yet we automatically give it without informing patients and families. We are not allowing them to have options and make informed decisions. I would suggest that our consent forms prior to intubation are not adequate or fully transparent. If we truly respected patient autonomy, we would be honest and clear with them prior to intubation. Our informed consents would include the option for or against unessential sedation. It would say something like, sedation is an optional addition to mechanical ventilation. It comes with the risks of dying in the ICU or after the ICU, infection, pressure sores, blood clots, delirium, ICU-acquired weakness, more time on the ventilator, more time in the hospital, tracheostomy, discharge from hospital to rehabilitation center or nursing home, post-ICU PTSD, post-ICU dementia or cognitive dysfunction, depression, being readmitted to the hospital and ICU, post-intensive care syndrome, losing the ability to walk or breathe independently, and decreases your chances of discharging home from the hospital, being able to walk upon transfer from the ICU, returning to work, or resuming your baseline quality of life. Just like with any procedure that has special risk factors specific to a patient, we would also specify with patients that have psychiatric histories and baseline PTSD that they may be at more risk of reliving their worst traumas. Studies for all of these statements are on the Medium blog. If you're feeling defensive or hating this concept, please pause and do some introspection. Why would this kind of transparency be bothersome or uncomfortable to us? When we tell families that we are doing everything we can to help patients survive, and yet we are deeply sedating everyone, even with the evidence that that increases mortality, are we telling them the truth? What if the public knew how different their outcomes could be depending on the hospital in the same city or even the unit within the same hospital simply because of their sedation and mobility cultures? I worked in a city where in one unit, 98% of survivors discharged home. And that was compared to a neighboring hospital with patients of the same Apache score and only 46% of those survivors discharged home. So from the wake and walk in ICU, a few blocks down the road, there's no way you would open your eyes on a ventilator. A few miles south, you'd get station vacations, but not likely stand up or walk. A few miles to the east or the west, you get to walk on ECMO in one unit, but hardly a sedation vacation on the ventilator in another unit within the same hospital. 
emergency services transport patients to specific facilities for certain cases. Suspected MIs go to where there is a cath lab. Traumas go to trauma centers. What if respiratory failures suspected of needing prolonged time on a ventilator had the choice of going to facilities that had the best management of patients on ventilators? Knowing what you know now about how different outcomes are depending on sedation practices, wouldn't you want the choice? What if insurances held us liable for ICU-acquired weakness when we inappropriately sedate and immobilize just as they do with infections and pressure injuries? Medicare doesn't cover expensive repercussions of poor care, such as hospital-acquired infections. So what if hospitals were not reimbursed for preventable tracheostomies, prolonged stays, or were penalized for ICU-acquired weaknesses or discharges to LTACs? I have been a consultant on cases with survivors trying to sue for far less injuries than what we cause with sedation and immobility. Again, none of this is to demonize anyone. Yet I cannot fulfill my objective of the podcast and advocate for patients if I don't address their right to be informed and be active participants in choosing their treatment and outcomes. We should not be withholding this information for, from them. Not only are we failing to warn and support them in recovering from the damage we have caused, we are failing to give them the opportunity to avoid it. I know it is a minority of the ICU community that is even aware of this research and the reality of our practices. Yet as one of the few that know what is going on, I am tired of this being our dirty little secret. We need to be involving our patients and their families in the evolution of critical care medicine. We need to honor their right to know before we proceed with automatic deep sedation and immobility. Someone recently said to me that they are tired of traking and pegging all their COVID patients and seeing their mortality rates in the 90s. We should be sick of it. We know how to improve mortality rates. We know how to improve outcomes and prevent suffering. Families and patients have the right to know as well. If we cannot provide that kind of care, then we should be transparent. We would expect that of any surgeon doing surgeries on us or our loved ones. So I know that was a lot and thank you for listening to such a rogue ramble. Join me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let me know your thoughts. Thank you for keeping the compassion and humanity in our field during such trying times. Good things are happening. The dawn is coming. Stay tuned for happier episodes to come. If you want to join in on the conversation, leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter. Schedule a consultation for your ICU, as well as find supportive resources such as the free ebook, case studies, episode citations, and transcripts. Please check out the website www.daytonicuconsulting.com. <laughs>